Everything's good. Everything is, is good. good. That's right. I mean, now we're getting to the point where we can set up the studio in seconds. Seconds. And it looks good. The, the, the quality is good. The sound is good. I like it. It's great. And I like this microphone like closer to my mouth like that, so I don't I have to have yell. The same, I think the same microphone. We have the si similar microphones. Mine's a roadie. Okay, listen. Hey, bro, no, no reason to show off. <laughs> I don't know what I don't mine know is. if that's showing off. It might be Target. I, right? yeah, okay, okay. yeah, yeah, guess what? I, I wear Sergio Buboni shoes. <laughs> that's not even a label. Buboni. Bubo hey, okay, so check this out. If, if in a linear fashion, if we had a song, because it is harvest time, as we mm -hmm. know, and yeah. we are going week to week to week to follow harvest time. If last week's song went like this, it's harvest time. It's, it's harvest, harvest time. time. Get it? Get it? It's kind of like that. I don't have to go through it all. Everybody knows how that song goes. Everyone has been singing that all week. Yep. At this point in harvest, is it a little dirtier? Like we're getting into, it's like well, you can see I have to wear a hat. It's harvest time. Just, yeah. Well, I know it's almost like it's almost end of harvest time. Oh, it's okay. End of harvest yeah. time. Yeah. But that's the end of harvest time again. To reiterate, that's not. I mean, we have tons of work left to do. Yeah. But it's just easier for your brain if, like, as we say, all the fruits in the barn. If it's if it's in house and we have it protected. Yes. And I don't have to go out to the field any longer to, to look at the grapes and to right. decide when we're going to pick. If it's in the barn, then then our work can be done in-house. And, and then we know what we're dealing with. We're not having to worry about, okay, right. what's that going to happen? What's that going to happen? So right. it's it, this Thursday, we'll have you know the fruit in the barn. Mm -hmm. And um, we're picking tonight. We're picking tomorrow night. And then case so of You change. You, you, you adapt to your situation you may be no longer logistical manager winemaker robbie meyer no no longer logistical logistical food um uh, uh field manager mm -hmm. but we're still gonna have all the management going on in-house i got you I, I would like to point this out which i didn't the last time because i did have the um let's let's just call it crash course Mm -hmm. of watching Harvest for a number of days to just experience this. That, um, okay, it's Harvest right now. What you said, all the fruit is coming in. It's going into those tanks. Fermenting tanks, by the way. I think yes. they are. I mean, I, there may fer be some. Fermentation tanks. Thank you. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Come on, pal. I'm just, I'm, I'm a novice. <laughs> um, but... Prior to it really getting into fermentation, I don't know why I didn't just think about this. Yeah. That when you turn that tap of something you as a winemaker is doing all the time because you're testing grapes, you're testing fruit in the field. You're yes. also testing that juice that juice. is going juice. It's not wine. It's juice. No, no, sir. It is juice. I have to say this again. I don't know why I didn't just contemplate this before. That that is potentially the best tasting juice I've ever had in my life. Today, yeah. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about damn the Pinot Noir juice. Yeah, is really really you, good juice. You, you had Sauvignon Blanc juice. You had Chardonnay yes. juice. You had Pinot Noir. Did I ever? And and you actually proposed the question. You know, like it was so good. You were like, well, why don't you just bottle that up and and you know people would love it, which they would. 
Mm-hmm. It's just the problem is it's still a $50 glass of juice. That's right. <laughs> you know? And of course, we incur more costs as we make it into wine. Yeah. But just the farming, just the processing to get that juice. Yeah. You know, it literally would be like instead of you, you know, we go to a restaurant and have mm-hmm. a five dollar glass of orange juice and we think we're getting robbed like how can it possibly be if you had that same glass of pinot noir juice yeah yeah it's gonna be fifty dollars yes that that brings up a good point too for people that like that they just think it's just it's back to my sergio buboni shoes my made-up label for shoes or anything that i think is overpriced there really is the built-in cost of all of these things a really good wine that you are making right yeah is there you have it there's a lot of manpower there's a lot of things going on that that is that cost that's wrapped up well you said 50 dollars bottle of juice it would be yeah and you know we're gonna have um josh on the um the the cast here in a second but and i don't know if we we went into things like food costs i I was actually watching a show i won't mention which show it was but um a chef talked about the difference in cost and ingredients number one i completely agree you have to start with perfect ingredients Mm -hmm. but this guy you know kind of I got phone calls coming in. Um, could you hear that? I, I heard that. Come yeah. on, Shauna. Let's that was Shauna. Join that the was, hey, jump that's in. a fantastic winemaker that I work with. There. It's, it's harvest time. She's calling in. She's okay, going to go do ahead. her work. So yeah. anyway, the the, 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 the the person made the comment like, oh, it's only a few minutes, um, a few pennies more to mm-hmm. get this cheese versus that cheese or this tomato versus that tomato. In some cases, that's true. Eh, I don't know. Food costs are very, very important to chefs. Mm-hmm. And um, while, you know, Chef Josh is absolutely amazing and he probably could make amazing food with inferior ingredients. No, he is the type of person that he only want to works with the best, best ingredients. And, you know, it's the same with me. I mean, I can make wine. I can make a wine from anything, but... I love to work with great vineyards and great fruit and great juice. And, you know, from then the pressure is on me. I can't make an outstanding product. An outstanding, Mm. I can make a product. I can't make an outstanding product without wonderful ingredients. That's right. And I don't know if Josh and I, you know, we touched on that, but I don't know. It's cool. Josh is is just an awesome dude. And um, it's very funny because uh, since we recorded this, audience we did record this a little while back but mm-hmm. um you know he's been spending more and more of his time doing his uh, uh fishing uh exploration mm-hmm. by the way i gotta send you mike some of the pictures he just sent me while i'm busting my butt during harvest he's like down mm. in the gulf of mexico outside of louisiana you would not believe the fish that they catch on the daily i mean he must have had 10 pictures of these things we'll put them on the on the website it's, it's pretty cool so okay he's a chef he's a fisherman you know i wasn't around this was early on that i didn't get to hear about this thing so i would like to know more about joshua schwartz so what do you say let's do it let's get into it let's get into it welcome to drop the check today's special guest is either a chef with a fishing problem or a fisherman with a chefing problem yeah he's been at the french laundry per se in bouchon but he's also been in a boat or two. Let's give it up for the distinguished Joshua Schwartz. We're just going here. I've been talking to myself for like 30 minutes. You sound really good. Do you? Okay, so just make sure um, that 
that you sound good. You feel comfortable with your mic. Well, my voice always sounds weird to myself. So I, I got you a Topo Chico, Ooh, and nice. I got you a Modelo. I feel like I'm in Mexico. Well, I'm trying to, you know, I don't know what what chef wants. You got me covered. <laughs> so is this um, a truth or non-truth that within the kitchen that Topo Chico is the brand? Well, I don't really think anyone drinks Topo Chico in the kitchen. Really? Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen it in the kitchen, but whenever I go to Mexico, we drink Topo Chico. I love Topo Chico. Me too. The bubbles are perfect. It's it's the best water there is. Yeah, because the bubbles are perfect. They're not too big. They're not too small. They're just right. Just right. <laughs> it's the truth, right? Yeah, I agree. Um, rolling in, we have one of my favorite people in the world. Joshua Schwartz. Thank you. Um, Chef, uh, I was thinking about this uh, a second ago. This sounds like really obnoxious. (laughs) But if you weren't a good chef, would we be friends? Well, we met because of me being a good chef. I know. And I you know. being a good, a great winemaker, but, but we work, but we work around each other. But I just, I thought that was a funny concept to me. That I was I, like, I mean, I almost I wonder. I, I mean, sure, there's sliding doors in life, right? But like, sliding I, doors in life. You're like one of that. those people in my life that even if I didn't meet you through the winery, I wish our paths had crossed somehow. Well, right. So thank you, and and I, I think in one way or another we would. Probably. But um, I thought that was a funny notion that I was like, you know, I, I love Josh. We talk about fishing and this and that and kids and X, Y, and Z, and you're so good to my son, Winton, and all of that stuff. And then it's like, what if he was a terrible chef? <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't need to go there with whether or not I'd have the job at Delgado if I was a terrible chef or a good of chef. Of course, of course, but... Um, <laughs> But, um, okay, so um, the, the, the point of um, this conversation, you and I have had many conversations all the time, but um, what I want to, you know, talk about and focus on on this and the, the purpose of this podcast is to kind of explain, like, why we got here, why we're sure. here, what we're doing, why we remain in this industry. Right. And, I mean, you have, like, the richest... Um, involvement in it because not only are you uh, an amazing chef, do you appreciate you know wine and stuff like that, but you're being an amazing fisherman, all of that. I want to get into that backstory, sure. But um, part of this whole thing, this whole podcast, is also self indulgent for me. It's kind of like with my Pearson Meyer wines. I, I tell people, you know, I, c- I can make wines for other people. It's fun. I make wines for Delgado, etc. Um, but when I make the Pearson Meyer wines are self-indulgent. I do it to create wines for myself. When I'm doing this conversation, this is self-indulgent for me. We talk all the time at work, but what I'd like to discover is more like different conversations about, you know, that you and I can have. So I haven't been offended that you haven't been talking to me lately because you've been waiting for this conversation. I know. Okay, so here it goes. So I know... That you're from the Northeast. Correct. I don't know where you're born. 
I was born on Long Island, Syosset Hospital in Oyster Bay, Long Island. Oyster Bay. Yep, and it's pretty fitting because I love oysters and so do my kids. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. So, And then did did you grow up in that area or is that just... So I spent, you know, some formative years on Long Island in a small town called Kings Park, which is on the South Shore of Long Island. Um, And then my dad worked for... My dad was an engineer, and he worked for a company called Redactron that became Burroughs, that became Unisys. What, what type of role is this? It's a computer company, okay. and he was, he was an engineer in the computer company, okay. and, and he, he's a very hands-on and people person, so he had a, a lot of involvement with you know, personnel. Yeah. Um, and he was transferred to uh, Trenton, New Jersey, and I don't know. My family's always been like a little anti-Jersey. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> and my dad said, "I'm not moving my family to Jersey." Really? We're gonna go across the river, the Delaware River, and find a place to live in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Okay, which is a beautiful area. It is, and the schools were better, and everything was just a better situation. And so we moved to Doylestown, Pennsylvania, which is in Bucks County, and. I spent my high school years, my junior high and high school years in, in Bucks County. Okay. And so, um, you know, growing up, um, you know, uh, my ignorance or it's not ignorance. It's, it's, um, I don't know, I guess just being open and whatever. Um, it took me a while, even though your name is Joshua Schwartz, right. to realize that you're of Jewish heritage. I am, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a religious person now. I know, know and but that's it's probably still... why people have a hard time catching on that I'm Jewish because I don't have, I, I don't speak of religion. I don't. Right. No, no, no. You know. that, but, 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 but your name does speak of that. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. Schwartz section in the New York uh, <laughs> phone book is pretty big. So, so anyway, so. I think they might have their own phone book. I just was just about to say that. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, but, but, so backing up within that, so growing up at home and, um, you know, Long Island or in New Jersey or whatever, um, your Not parent, New Jersey. Pennsylvania. I'm sorry, Pennsylvania. <laughs> so, God. Doylestown, Man. to be specific. We're going to lose all sorts of <laughs> listeners for being Jersey haters. No, no, no. I'm not a Jersey hater. Okay. I just prefer not to be in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> I think people from New Jersey are great. I went to Hoboken. <laughs> Hoboken. Hoboken. How do you say it? Hoboken. Hoboken. It's just like a one word. I know. That was terrible, wasn't <laughs> that it? That was very West Coast. Anyway, it was awesome. <laughs> Yeah. I loved it. It was fantastic. It was really, really cool. Well, I mean, I say the same thing about Jersey as I say about New mm-hmm. York City. Like, I love New York City. I love New Jersey mm-hmm. from a distance. So <laughs> I'll go visit it, but I'm not going to live there. Yeah. That's all. True. I, I get you. I'm not going to live in Georgia and Atlanta, and I love it there. Right. Whatever. Same, same love-hate relationship. Okay, so going back, though. So... Um, uh, growing up before high school, whatever you're back as a kid, what was I'm trying to lean into your proficiency in the kitchen? What was that's it where like? it really all started, actually. Yeah, so tell me that. How was that? Are your parents well, great in the kitchen? Well, growing up on Long Island, my grandfather owned a restaurant. Okay, on Long Island. yes, you told me he this. owned a French bistro. So I used to spend pretty much every weekend we would go visit my grandfather and grandmother at the restaurant. So I grew up pretty much in the restaurant. 
and fell in love with food. My mom has this story about me with a, my first lobster where they had live lobsters at the restaurant and I wanted one. And of course, you know. <laughs> wait, wait, you wanted one as a pet or to eat or to cook? No, I wanted to eat that thing. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like Pinchy on The Simpsons. <laughs> Maybe in my mind at that point, probably, but I wanted to eat it. Yeah. And uh, so I had this big lobster put down in front of me. And my mom was getting ready to show me how to eat lobster. And I just dove in and she was like, he, I mean, he knew what to do. He knew how it came apart. He knew where to eat. Awesome. Not to eat. Yeah. I tore that thing apart and I was in it. Yeah. Like I was head to toe lobster just chowing down. That sounds right. And uh, my normal meal at the restaurant was escargot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I would always get lamb chops with French fries and champagne sauce, which is like a butter <laughs> sauce. Wow. And give, give me an age. I mean, this is starting pro- before I even remember. So, you know, probably five year old Josh. Four or five, so yeah. I would like uh, palm frites, uh, champagne vinaigrette. Right. Yeah. And, and then I'd have uh, chocolate mousse for dessert. That's amazing. Why was it that your grandfather had this French bistro? So, my grandfather was a Frenchophile. Okay. He loved France. Um, my grandfather was in the military. Um, he was on one of these big ships that was going across seas for the war. And he was on a detail where he was kind of bottom of the totem pole. Mm-hmm. And he loved food. He always loved food. And he would have to wait on these super long lines to get a meal on the boat. And he would literally be waiting in line for breakfast. And by the time he got up front, it would be lunchtime. I mean, that's how long he oh had to wait gosh. sometimes. I mean, that's how the story goes. It's, it's, it's funny. It's not funny. But I mean, he, this is, we're talking probably the 1940s or yeah, earlier. 40s, yeah, yeah, 40s. Yeah. Maybe 50s. Mm-hmm. Between the 40s and 50s. Mm-hmm. So um, he realized that the people who worked in the kitchen were always eating. Uh-huh. And he's like, I'm going to knock on the door of the kitchen. Brilliant. And try to get some work, ask them if they need me to do something. So he did. He knocked on the door and spoke to whoever he spoke to, got the chef, and the chef's like, we need a butcher. Do you know how to butcher? And he lied and said yes. (laughs) Of course. And he gets put in the room with a knife and piles of meat and had to figure it out. And he did. He was a smart guy, and he figured it out. And he loved being on the ship from that point on because he would eat whenever he wanted to, and he'd go back to his room with a pint of ice cream. He was a happy guy. but good that, life. Yeah, and he ended up, he was such a nice and, and great person that he ended up befriending everyone in the kitchen, and he ended up moving up in the military into a very high-end chef position for the admirals and captains and stuff like that. So yeah. when he got back to home base, he was being a chef for you know in captain's quarters yeah you know who interestingly enough that's a that's a beautiful story um uh what's his name um jose andreas yeah he has a very similar story to that have you heard that before no, I haven't. that he was um just an incredible you know chef or a cook he was just a cook 
And uh, I'm probably getting this wrong. I can't believe we're being recorded because this probably is dead wrong. But it's something. Shoot from the hip, man. Let's shoot go. from the hip. Let's go. <laughs> but it's something. It's to accurate the, until proven different. No, it's something to the effect of that that he was in the military in the uh, I think the Spanish military, and um, you know he was just called up like, hey, who who can cook here? And he was like fantastic and right. was brought up. I worked with him at one point in New York. Did you? Yeah. He's a great guy. So, I, I mean, I have, he is a, I, great I have guy. a ton of respect for him and what he's doing to feed to feed the world. The, the world, yeah. The, and, everyone who needs it. Right. I mean, I've heard some amazing stories about what he's doing. So He, he does a, an, an amazing work. Um, um, so let me pause here and then let me bring it back. So now you, you, you're in the kitchen. You, you work or you're around your family's restaurant. Yep. I, I never worked in that kitchen. I would just eat there. Okay, you're I was eating at a there. Young, young age. So then you, you're growing up in Pennsylvania, and you go through high school. Any interest in food at that time in terms of cooking, 100%. or you're just all sports and 100, shit? 100%. So let me back it up just a tiny little bit. Right before we left Long Island, my grandfather passed away. Okay. And when he passed away, I didn't really know how to deal with grief. Yeah. And... My mom was crying. My sister's crying. My dad, who I'd never seen cry, was crying. Yeah. And I couldn't cry. And I went up to my mom and I said, I can't cry. And she goes, well, everyone deals with grief in a different way. So you just need to find your way. And I said, well, I know my way. Well, what's your way? I'm going to be a chef like Papa. Because you wanted to think of him and honor him. Exactly. And from that point, I think I was probably six or seven I never looked back. That was it. Oh, I made wow. Up my this mind. is six or seven years old. Yeah, I made up my mind I was going to be a chef. Wow. So this is way back. This is, this is way yeah. before high school. I mean, way before high school, like, I was basically telling my parents, like, I want to learn how to cook. I want to cook. I want to be like Papa. Okay. And my mom put a knife in my hand when I was seven to yeah. make my first batch of French onion soup, and she said basically the same thing as the lobster. I just knew what to do. It just yeah. she, she always said, it's in his blood, I guess. He just knows what to do. So I know Papa is uh, a, a great chef and cook and lover of food and restaurant touring. Right. Um, what about your parents directly? Were they, or were they just kind of... No, my parents, you know, this is the thing. They say cooking skips a generation occasionally, okay. so it kind of skipped a generation. Like with me. Yeah, my grandfather. <laughs> my grandfather Mine actually skipped six generations. <laughs> Sorry, my grandfather. Uh, I think he did everything in his power to convince my parents not to go into the restaurant yeah. industry because it was it's a difficult uh, industry. Uh, yeah, the, I'll, I'll get he, to that. He struggled with it, so I think he did everything possible to make them comfortable to do something different and to complete school and do something complete. My dad, of course, worked in the restaurant when he was going through yeah, college. Sure. And my mom never really did. Um, but when I was, towards the end, my mom was actually making desserts for the restaurant. She'd be making the uh, Normandy pudding, which is like bread pie, and she'd make uh, Sasha tort, which is a dark chocolate cake. And all these things were being made in my home for the restaurant. And that's really where I would kind of poke in and be like, learn how to do things. Let me ask you this, though. Let me ask you this, though. Um, clearly, uh, and I forget, you said Pop Pop. What do you call your grandfather? He was Papa Ronnie. Papa Ronnie. Yeah. So he has passion. A hundred percent. Like a ton of passion. Yeah. Your parents, your mom, she's, she's doing this stuff. Does she have the passion or not? My mom loves food. And her sister, my aunt, they, they both grew up 
like with everything revolved around eating and food. Okay. Because my grandfather and grandmother, that's was that was their lifestyle. So you're falling like right into this at seven years old, and and you're going through middle school, whatever. When when's your first uh, non-family restaurant job? So at fourteen, um, my first job was picking strawberries in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and I hated it. <laughs> it was at None Such Farms, which is a great farm, by the way. I'll give them a plug. It's also a good uh, name. Yeah. And they had strawberry fields, and they always looked for kids to come and pick strawberries, but you had to get up super early. Yep. And you g- had to go out there, and you got paid by how many boxes you filled. So you were motivated to to do a lot. I, and I did really well, but, like, my hands were stained red. Mm-hmm. I hated getting up early. I just didn't like it. And I would tell my parents all the time, I don't like this job. I don't want to do it. Well, what do you want to do? I want to work in a restaurant. And at that time, my sister was working at a restaurant in New Hope, Pennsylvania called Mother's. Mm-hmm. She was a server. And they needed a busboy. And it, that was kind of my my in. Yeah. But something didn't work out. And my dad did pulled some strings. And he ended up getting me a job at this little cafe in Lahaska, Pennsylvania called The Cafe. And I was going to go in and work in the day and make sandwiches and help this guy run this cafe. And were you pumped? I was so excited. Yeah, totally. I mean, I was so excited. Like, oh, my God. Like, I'm getting to work in a kitchen. This is so awesome. Not about dollars. Not no, about earning pay. No, fuck no. I didn't care. Like, no. I was, like, you know, opening big, giant five-gallon buckets of pickles. <laughs> and... <laughs> I was I was learning how to use a meat slicer. I'm right there with you. You know, all this cool stuff that I was just like, I felt like I was important. Like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. Well, I think the guy that owned the cafe thought I was a little too important. He had a little bit of a drinking problem, and he would leave me alone. Okay. Because he saw that I could handle it, I right. guess. At least in my mind, I thought so. And he would go across the street to the bar and never come back, and I would work service by myself. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> And it was a busy place. <laughs> I mean, we're talking tickets hanging up, like waitresses yelling at me, and I was just like a kid. Yeah. And I would, I took it all in stride, like, yeah, this is great. Yeah, I got your tuna fish sandwich just coming. Hold what, on. You know what? <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> well, you you told me this one time um, about uh, people working in the kitchen, and uh, we'll go forward and backwards that, you know, now you do incredibly high-end cuisine but um you said to me one time like give me a guy who's been a short order cook that guy is organized in the kitchen and knows how to run a show i thought that was very interesting somebody who cooks breakfast at a fast pace i mean even like a denny's yeah somebody couldn't handle like eight burners with eight pans and do over easy eggs and french toast at the same time i want that guy working for me i thought that was beautiful because i can teach that guy to do other things yeah you know, but a, he has organization, he has awareness, he right. has knowledge. He has all the key elements for sure. But, you know, the most important part is this person is trainable, right. obviously. Right. This person cares. And it's also important that they did this job for like a year or more mm-hmm. because it means that they have perseverance too. Mm-hmm. Because oh, you get your ass handed to you. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, that is probably the hardest cook position ever is to being a short order breakfast cook. Totally. I mean, you have, there's stuff flying every direction and you need some finesse to do eggs right and 
you know, handle all the other things that are coming your way at the same time. It's a simple organization. Yeah, the organization is is huge. Huge. Um, but as cooks, I think the main job we have is controlling heat. And to be able to control heat with eggs takes finesse. That's always the standard. Yeah. Okay, hold on. I, I interrupted your, your flow, though. Okay. You're, you're back to, um, you're the short order cook at yeah, the, the was, sandwich shop. Yeah, I was getting my butt kicked at the cafe. Yeah, the cafe. And John was drunk across the street. And John's a good, he's drunk and whatever. But so you move on to from that job, and where well, do you I go? I moved on because my dad basically told John off one morning and was pissed <laughs> off. And he, he found out that he was leaving me alone, was like, this ain't happening. My right. kid's 14 years old, and you're leaving him alone, and... And I was mad. I was like, Dad, come on. You're ruining a good thing. No, no. This is, you're out. We're done. And then right after that, that job at Mother's came through. So I became a busboy okay. at a restaurant. Yep. And was folding napkins and bussing tables at a really hustly, bustly restaurant in New yep. Hope, Pennsylvania, which is a, a touristy town. Yep. And had a great time. And I would go in the kitchen all the time and tell the chef, like, I really want to work back here. And he'd be like, yeah, 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 whatever. He's, yeah, go clear table 10. Right. Know? And... All the time, I'd like, I want to work back here. Well, one day, they needed a dishwasher, so I got a shot working in the kitchen washing dishes, which <laughs> is one of the hardest jobs in the business. I've done it. You know, it's I've hard, it. and I think everyone should have to do it who works in a restaurant, should have to do that to have respect for that station because it cleans up all the bullshit messes. What do we call it? The pit. The pit. The pit. Yeah, you're I in mean, the pit. It, when you're in the pit, it's like stuff's flying. And you just gotta you gotta get stuff from dirty to clean as fast as you can. That's it. I can tell you this much though, um, with you know I've, I've I haven't been a chef, but I've I've worked every position in the restaurant world, and the satisfaction of clearing the pit and having it running through, even though you're you know lowest man on the totem pole, is fucking satisfying. It's really awesome, right? But. It doesn't last long. It gets it's as soon as you clear that space and, and wipe no one, it down. There's new plates being slammed, and in no front one of you. And, and no one gives a shit. No. It's only personal satisfaction. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's the same feeling you get as a cook when you clear your board. Yeah, when you're busy and you're in the weeds, yeah. and that last ticket comes down, and you're just like satisfied, like you just climbed Mount Everest. Right. You know, you got to the top. Right. So there's a lot of things in the kitchen and phases in the kitchen. And, you know, I can touch on this more as we go through this, but every time I felt like I, I learned a lot and I felt like I knew a lot, I was humbled so many times over and over and over of like, no, you know nothing. And it's brought me to where I am today where I feel like if I'm not learning, I'm not living. Yeah. So I'm constantly learning. But it started at a really young age where I built all this confidence and thought I knew all this stuff. And then I would switch stations and I would know nothing and feel like nothing. And like, gosh, I'm like starting over again. Well, th so here, this begs the question is like, you know, you clearly have this passion for cooking. And then I also want to get into fishing a little bit later. <laughs> but, but um, um, you know, what is that? Where, where uh, we talked about, like, I know it's your heritage. I know it comes from your, you know, grandparents and your parents and your family and your heritage or whatever but it's driven deeply into you and it's different than you know just uh getting the satisfaction of working the pit or being a bus boy or working whatever um you really love the concept of creating 
Yep. And nurturing people through your food, right? Well, I think it really comes down to something very primal, mm-hmm. which is making people happy. Yeah. And I feel like the hospitality industry gives you that option every day to make people happy. Mm-hmm. And the satisfaction of having someone come up to you and saying, that was one of the best meals I ever had. Or just shaking their head from across the dining room, giving you the, yeah, man, that was it right there. That feeling you get, the feeling I get, I think I can associate it because I've done a little bit of it. It is like that adrenaline rush that people get from doing sports where, you know, they get that adrenaline rush. I get that same rush from when I get the satisfaction and the happiness response from somebody and that's really as I get closer to my 50s I'm realizing that a lot of the things I've done in my life have been based off of making other people happy yeah and when I get that feeling that I made someone else happy I feel content I feel content 100% and yeah. we all want that as yeah. human beings right so it's that primal feeling of making people happy and feeling content that you did what you had to do to get it done yeah interestingly enough though I'll challenge you this on <laughs> this part, Chef, is that um, you had the, the great analogy of like, you know, creating it to sports or relating it to sports. Um, and there's always that coach or that quarterback or that goalkeeper or whoever it may be who people perceive as the asshole or who's um, not happy. Bill Belichick or whoever it may be. Right. And um, they're actually really enjoying the moment. At the same time, they're kind of caustic and angry and whatever else. That is the tendency of chefs. Yeah. Am I, am I, am I, am I out of bounds here? Come on. Yeah, it's that. <laughs> you're, you're not out of bounds, you know, because, and, you know, you have to learn – and it's taken me a long time, and I'm still learning about this. But, you know, there's a, a saying that Thomas Keller hung in his restaurants about perfection yep. and the stri- striving for perfection. And the more you realize that stri- the, the more you strive for perfection, the more you realize it's unattainable. Mm-hmm. And what it comes down to is making people happy. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a Thomas Keller catchphrase right there. Mm-hmm. And that re- always resonated with me. It actually hangs in the kitchen at the winery still. Yeah. And I think that striving for perfection is the hardest part as a young chef to overcome because you want everything to be perfect. And when anything doesn't go your way, you snap. Like it's like not okay because you have this vision of how it's all supposed to go. And when it doesn't go the way you think it's going to go, it's like the world comes crashing down on you. Mm -hmm. You're not going to make people happy. Mm -hmm. And when you, when I got older and realized that, I'm striving for perfection, but the people around me, I need them to strive as well. But the guests aren't there striving for perfection. The guests are looking for an experience. Yes. And if you're giving them that experience, if you don't reach perfection in your mind, you still might reach close to it in theirs. Yes. And that's okay. And if things go wrong, it's okay. You can kind of just put the brakes on a little bit and ease off and just understand that you're still making people happy. For your own sanity. It's got to be, but, yeah. but, but that, For your own sanity. But I would challenge this is that the people who don't have that, like, you know, I, I'm, I was, you know, kind of playfully teasing that, um, you know, when you're on point in the kitchen, when it's a big time, when it's go time, you're intense. 
Absolutely, and you have to be. You, you're very intense, and um, people don't necessarily want to be around you. <laughs> I'm t- no, 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 you're, you're right. Yeah. You're right. Okay. You're right. So, and, but here's and my every point. chef I ever worked for was the same way. The same way with every quarterback, with every CEO, with every, you know, whoever. And this intensity striving for that perfection. Yeah. Whoever cares about wanting that perfection, that's what you need. Sure, it's it's justifiable to say like um, whatever Keller said that you know we might not attain that, but don't give me the guy who doesn't want that perfection. Oh, you need to have you need to strive every day you walk through the door. Yeah, you need you need to want to make that the best day ever, every day, and every day you leave. If it's not, then you come back trying for the next day. Yeah, you know, I mean, you're trying to make every day the best and the best experience for people every day. But I agree, like, the whole thing about when you reach that moment of intensity, we're about to serve 150 people a seven-course meal, and mm-hmm. there's a lot of parts and pieces that need to come together, and all everything needs to fall into line. Yeah, It's like a big funnel, right? It's really wide at the top, and then when it comes time to come out the bottom and to be served, it's very narrow, and it has to go just right to come out properly. Right. So that's an intense moment, and I think the intensity – that's needed by a quarterback, by a basketball player, by anybody in those clutch moments, a chef, you can't avoid being intense and you can't avoid being that guy that's kind of like, you know, being an asshole in the moment. And if you're not, then we don't need you. If you're not, then then you're not going to be successful. I mean, shit, if you can get it done without being that guy, then you're some super, no, super it, special it, human being. It, it doesn't exist. One of, um, I, I have, you know, several funny memories of, of interactions with you and I. And generally speaking, when I'm coming to you, you are in more intense moments than I. But uh, when you come to me, I'm normally more relaxed. And there was this one moment, I think it was last year, when there was a grape delivery. Do you remember this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so this, the grapes come into the yard, and there's a truck, and um, the exhaust from the truck had been blowing onto the, I remember, the grapes. Yeah. And um, you came over, like, in a good mood, and you expect me to be my normal, casual, Robbie self. And you, like, took one look at me. And you turned around and walked the other direction. <laughs> and you're like, holy shit, I've never seen you that angry and mad. Well, that's what it takes. When right. it's crunch time, that's when you need someone who, fuck, you're passionate about it. And I turned around because I identified with it. Right. You don't, yeah. but, but, but the, I guess the point is, is that like um, in life, I wasn't unhappy with my job. I wasn't, um, I, I love doing what I'm doing. I'm just intense about that. Right. I care about it. Right. It's really important to me, you know, and that's, that's where the, the funny thing to me, like where people, um, you know, uh, have this, not, not criticism of chefs, but the notoriety of chefs of being like um, assholes. Right. It's because they care. Yeah, and you know what? Like, it weighs on me. Because anyone who knows me as a person outside the kitchen knows that I'm a pretty happy-go-lucky, easy guy to get along with. Deadhead. Deadhead. Love the Grateful Dead, 100%. (laughs) 
That's how you guys would have met, by the way. Yeah, yeah. probably. Yeah. Uh, no, n- n- Chef, Chef Josh was a face painter deadhead. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, you yeah. definitely would have met there, or yeah. a fish show. Yeah. yeah. I would have been selling the kind, kind veggie burritos. <laughs> <laughs> but that, yours would actually be yeah. good. Yeah, yeah I, I, I made a few. <laughs> definitely made a few in the day. But, you know, that, that intensity... It weighs on me because when people, when the mumble and the bumble is about like chefs being an asshole and stuff, that that bothers me because that's not who I am. No. And, you know, I, I work really hard to build relationships with people in the kitchen and people in the front of the house. And then when I hear these stories about, gosh, he's such an asshole. Well, no, why don't you just do your job? If you did, your, if you just did your job, then the chef would actually be really nice to you all the time. Hold on, hold on. You just, you just, you just exemplified exactly the problem. Uh. No, I'm, 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 I'm a really nice guy. If you would just do your fucking job, yeah, totally, totally. And that's what it comes down to in the moment a lot of times. Oh, I well, love that. Well, do you that. think that's a I lot I know. Of it? I appreciate that. Go ahead. Do you guys think that your intensity is just because that's how you show your love for people? Yeah. And so... Not love for people, but love what we do. But the yeah, passion, for yeah. the passion of what you do. But it translates to you're not just yelling at somebody with... It's getting fumes all over your grapes because you're concerned about the grapes. You're actually concerned about what you're delivering to your final product and what that's going to be and how that's going to represent yourself right and the same thing for you it's like you're representing yourself in the way that you care about the experience to your point so it's like that intensity is actually just intense amounts of love a hundred percent agree and i see that in this guy and joshua for 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 sure um and he kind of spoke to it but i i can see it you know it's like that i just um, met him and i can see it yeah it's like you know (laughs) thank you um you know, we could have all sorts of analogies of, you know, coaching kids or whatever, and, and people perceive you as being, um, you know, uh, full of energy or aggressive or whatever. And it's really just an emotion of love, of wanting to deliver. You said the fundamental thing about wanting to not just make food, not heating a stove and, and heating meet up but taking care of people pleasing people right. having that energy of or satisfaction of like delivering someone nutrient and going hey oh my god they're pleased well everything that goes on the plate is a reflection of me yeah so you know if something's not going right that's going to go on a plate and it's going to pass me and it's going to get out to the guest and not be the way i want it to be that's a reflection of me and i don't yeah. i don't want that yeah and I do everything in my power to make sure everything fu- comes through that funnel at the end with my eyes on it, making sure everything that's going out it, I'm proud of and I want people to feel me. And I say to guests a lot of times when I'm seeing them before an event, I'll see you on the plate. And I mean it. Yeah. It's like oh, I love you'll, that. the next expression you see from me will be in front of you and you'll eat it. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it, it shows through so quickly, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful and, uh, my son Winton is so grateful that, you know, you've mentored him and brought him into the kitchen, um, from time to time. And, um, you know, it's just, it, it gives me such a smile, like how, you know, he's just a reflection of 
your philosophies. Sure. And so like, you know, like during He's sir, such a sponge, it's amazing. During during service, you know, I'm getting texts from him of pictures or whatever. Right. And then like, you know, and this is when he was like thirteen, now he's sixteen, but thirteen, you know, he'd send me something and I'd I'd make a comment on the picture and he'd be like, Oh God, Dad, you're such an idiot. That's not a, at all what we're... And it sounded like it was words coming out of your mouth. You know, like, you're looking at the wrong thing. That's not the right presentation. That's not a tomato. It's a gooseberry. Oh, my God. You know, it's hilarious. But, um, you know, so the point is, is that the passion that you have is translatable. Hopefully, if we have that, whether it's, you know, in winemaking or being a chef or whatever industry that we're in, if you're passionate about it and passing it along to the next generation, just like your grandfather's passion for his restaurant clearly translated, you know, it's not a matter of handing someone a restaurant or handing someone, um, or even teach is the passion is what translates. The philosophy philosophy translates. Yeah. Yeah, That's beautiful. And and I think everybody who works in the, hospitality industry has their own philosophy on how how they want to transcribe that to their guests yeah and you know for me i never owned a restaurant so i always took my passion and my philosophy and instilled it into someone else's business Mm -hmm. and because of that you know i there's always hurdles involved you know there's always clash of philosophies or clash of you know, passions mm-hmm. at times. And this creates conflict at, some, at times, but I think out of conflict. Internal conflict, you mean? Sometimes internal conflict, but yeah. also sometimes conflict between, you the, know, management yes. or, okay. you know, front of the house, back of the house, owners, ownership and the kitchen, things like that. But I think that these conflicts actually help build character amongst everybody. And someone might be like, God, the chef's being such an asshole. But like, you know what? Let me be an asshole for a minute and let's learn something from this all together. Let's learn how we can do something better for the guest. Because really when it comes down to it, are we here for you or are we here for me? No, we're here for the guest and we're here to give them their the experience. So the experience you're having and the experience I'm having might not be reflective of what the guest is feeling. So let's look at that instead and look at what we can do to make that better. Um, thanks, Chef, for just completely identifying the whole point of this podcast. I think we're done here. <laughs> it's no. so true. It's like it's that <laughs> intangible <laughs> thing that you don't really know as a guest what you're experiencing at the time, but you know you're experiencing something special. And you're like, your body is just fully immersed in the experience. It's like you can feel all the passion and the love that's coming through it, and it comes right through all of your you know, your your mouth, your nose, your ears, your eyes, like the whole experience right. is just so on point when something is being delivered to and that level. And that's something like where it's like really happening on all the levels. Yes. You're checking all the boxes. Yes. And that means that like everybody's working in sync to make that happen. Exactly. But I was getting something more deeper than that anthropologically. <laughs> well, and I knew this you were, is the you were metaphor going. of the entire restaurant and the functionality of the restaurant, whether it's the brigade in the kitchen to the, it's society. Right. This is the whole thing. This is how you manage something. It's, it's like government. It's, like, it's a whole metaphor for 
our lives. Right. I mean, that's that's you know, again like what I was saying. The whole point of the, this but podcast to your, to is your to discuss. Point, this. It is like government because the guest will tell you when you suck. Right. They'll vote you out. <laughs> right. Yeah, they might. <laughs> They'll they, stop coming. Exactly. They might. They might even write a review f- online right while they're sitting at their table. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So. Exactly. No, that's there's that's, a lot of power in the people when it comes to that type of stuff. It, it's absolutely brilliant, and I love it. I just yelped you while I was sitting here. <laughs> <laughs> I just gave you one star. <laughs> Trouble. Um, so you, I, I, I would love to have a better segue, but um, I, I can't. You said something earlier, but I, I can tie it back to this. Lobster. Lobster. And you have your thing. So when did the fishing passion come through? Well, it's actually, this is a great segue because what we just discussed, <clears throat> you know, how government and mm-hmm. restaurant mm-hmm. and that whole culture is very similar. Well, to me, fishing, because I guided, became very similar, which is I got the same feeling internally from taking people fishing and putting all the parts and pieces together that it took to make an experience happen on the water was very similar to being a chef. Of course. But 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 now I've got to back up, too, with the fishing. So I know you're in Pennsylvania. Oh, where did it come from? Where did you, how did you get into that? My grandmother put a fishing rod in my hand when I was five. Okay. And so this she, goes very early, too. Yeah, it was, right at, it was shortly after my grandfather passed away, and she moved to uh, a different part of Long Island. She moved to Long Beach Island. And um, I used to go spend the summers with her. That's the LBI? Um, yeah. <laughs> I, was, yeah, I've never heard of Long Beach Island, but I just like the LBC yeah, and the LBI. LBI. Okay, okay. So she loved to knit and here she is taking care of, you know, this little boy who's got a ton of energy and she went and bought me a fish. Asked me, you want to go fishing? I want to go fishing. Okay, let's go fishing. Bought me a fishing rod, got a pail, got me bait. We went down to the pier where other guys were fishing, mm-hmm. and I learned how to bait a hook mm-hmm. and live bait fishing for flounder. <laughs> a flounder. For flounder. And me, I'm, I'm like spastic, crazy, high-energy kid. I knock my bucket over. All my bait goes all over the place. This is the first time ever, and I'm crying, and this guy, older guy comes up to me, and he's just like, hey, kid, let me help you. Like, help me gather my bait. We lowered the bucket down off the pier into the water, got new water in it. And I felt this camaraderie there from fishing and this old, this old timer coming up to me and like, kind of like teaching me the ropes. Mm -hmm. And I caught flounder and I brought him home and my grandmother was stoked. She's like, you got dinner. You know, and she sat there on the park bench knitting the whole time. Didn't even know that my pail <laughs> dumped out or anything like that. Couldn't care less. So, of course, I'm like, the next day, I'm like, are we going fishing today? Like, I want to go right. again. Like, yeah. that was amazing. I loved it. And she took, she, every time I'd go, she'd take me out to the pier and I'd go flounder, flounder fishing. Flounder fishing. And um, then we moved to Pennsylvania shortly after that. And where we moved in Pennsylvania was a pond on every corner. Really? Yeah, and that okay. was really cool because my neighbor across the street was very close in age, and he loved to fish, and we would go fishing all the time, mm-hmm. like go bass fishing, yeah, go crappie fishing. And, like, all of a sudden I was like, I love this. I love going fishing. I love not knowing, what did I catch this time? Is it a crappie? Is it a bass? What did I get? What did I, you know? 
what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? Like learning about, you know, using a bobber, using a jig, using, you know, uh, and this is all. It's with, an art. This is all with spin rods, you know. Yeah. So my formative years all the way through um, junior high and high school and really up until I moved to California through culinary school and all that, um, I fished conventionally and I fished with a spin rod. And that's all I knew. And all I knew was bass fishing. I had done a little bit of trout fishing and then fishing for flounder. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a podcast all its own. We could talk about flounder. I, I also, again, again, so like, you know, for me as a, a, a Southern Catholic boy gone out West, like, you know, again, not knowing Joshua Schwartz is a, a Jewish person and um, a Northeastern person and the, uh, going fishing for flounder. <laughs> totally. We got to work on your Long Island accent, though. I know. It's really bad. <laughs> I can't do it. I'm not supposed to you do it. You can say water. You can water. say chocolate. Chocolate. You can say orange. Orange. Orange? Did I get that right? You got that one. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Um, anyway, so um, <laughs> so you're 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 doing conventional fishing, but then you move on to the big leagues because you're doing, you know, it, Heather doesn't know this, but you know, Chef shows me insane pictures of the fish that you are doing now. I mean, it's I mean, I've worked really hard with the fly fishing thing. It's not an it's not an easy sport. It takes you know perseverance. It takes you know time, um, but I skill. It takes skill. And it, you know, honestly, I'd rather be lucky than, than good. No, you're good. You well, can't, I, I've, I've, I just want fishing, the luck to come. I've my been way, fishing then. a million times. <laughs> uh, you, you clearly have a talent for that and I clearly have a passion for that. I do. And a good friend of mine told me recently who I fish saltwater with, he goes, you're just always that guy that catches the biggest fish on the boat. And I just came to terms with that. Uh, absolutely, it's true. I tell people all the time, like, um, you know, because, you know, I do respectfully, absolutely love your cooking. Honestly, not because you're here. You're one of my favorite chefs in the world. And I, This I've, is true. I've, I can validate that. Huh? I said I can validate you that. You can validate that, Heather. <laughs> yeah. um, no, no, seriously, I, I really respect your 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 cooking and, and everything that you produce, but I see more passion in you for, you know, your, your fishing, and when I talk to other people about you, I'll say, oh, yeah, you know, Jeff Josh, he, he's an amazing chef, but if you ask him what he does for a living, he'll tell you he's a fisherman, you know, and that... Yeah, I, I mean... There's some truth behind that. Like, you know, we have our passions in life, and I think cooking is really the deepest passion that I have. Okay. Um, I don't believe it. But cooking... <laughs> <laughs> you, you never show me a picture of a dish that you've created. We talk about, like, cattle, and we talk about beef, and we talk about cooking, but you are so excited and so happy to talk to me about fishing. This is true, and I think... You know, for me, the fishing, I, I don't I don't think it's really gone past the cooking. The cooking is my passion, and it's something that, like, is, like my mom used to say, it's in my blood. So yeah. I don't think of it in the same way. Like, I don't get excited about a dish I do because I still haven't perfected any of my dishes. I feel like I, I'm, I'm always working. Like, you notice, sure. like, I'm constantly changing my menus sure. and constantly changing my dishes and... 
reworking them and doing this and doing that. So like the fishing is like such an instant gratification to me because when everything comes into play properly and everything lines up right, you're rewarded with like this incredible creature and you have this one-on-one experience with it. And well, these two passions don't have to be incongruous, you know. I mean, they can they can coexist. They are, and that's really what my goal has been for like the last, I would say, ten years. Is how do I combine these passions into one thing? Oh, great opportunity for a perfect plug. Yeah. Tell us what. <laughs> <laughs> This is not intended. Um, no. But tell me what you're doing right now with your new. So for the last six years, I've been working with some friends and doing some travel fly fishing. And we would take guests to uh, New Orleans and take them fishing in the marsh in Louisiana. Yep. Out in Hopedale, Louisiana. For, for red, 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 red fish yeah. and black drum and sheep's head. Yep. Um, and, you know, the fishing was, like, awesome. Like, it was a new experience for me, like, sight casting to these fish in the marsh. And But, like, the real reason I was there was to take care of the guests. And because with saltwater fly fishing, you never know if it's going to be a good day or a bad day. So having this great meal to come back to, like, kind of elevates the experience. Okay, pa- pause this for one second, though, because uh, it, it just hits on a, a, another moment, exactly what we're talking about. Your pleasure in doing this, of course, you know, we all need a business to do. You have a passion for fishing, but you just said the same thing. You you wanted to please these people. Right. That was your whole mission. That's what gives you satisfaction. Right. Is like, again, like going back to me and you telling me, well, you need to go fishing. You're more excited about taking me fishing than me fishing <laughs> right? <laughs> because you want to be such a, a, a provider of joy for people. Right. That's, uh, that's, and I, I that's like your existence. M- my stoke is based on other people's stoke. Exactly. You know? No. And I want, like, when I see somebody like you who gets stoked on things, yeah, I, I'm like, I cannot wait to put them in a position where I can see how stoked I can get right. this guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, sorry, Chef, to interrupt. So, you're, you're, you're p- taking people down to New Orleans and you're taking people Yeah, fishing. it kind of started like that. And, you know, it, it, the whole part of it was me coming along and cooking. It wasn't, you know, the... I didn't think anything more of like, here I am helping a friend out. I get a really cool, great new fishing experience, but ultimately I'm taking care of people at the lodge and I'm yeah. making them happy and making great food. And I had a great time doing it. And, and for six years I did it. And then it came to the point where um, with COVID, it was like right at the beginning of COVID, we had a trip planned. It got canceled um, then all of a sudden it was back on, but we didn't have clients and I was asked if I could get some of my clients cause I had been steelhead, I've been guiding steelhead for about 15 years and yeah. I have, I have a pretty good list of guys that fish with me. Um, and I always knew a lot of my clients loved fishing with me because steelhead fishing is not always good fishing. A lot of times you're looking for one or two bites a day. Mm. But I would provide this lunch that they'd be like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, and wow, That's we're on a boat and we're eating foie gras. Yeah. Like, what is going on yeah. here? Yeah. So, like, I had clients that loved the food factor behind the fishing. And um, I was asked if I could find some guys to come on this trip. And, and within, I, I'm, it must have been within 30 minutes, I filled the trip up yeah. by making just a few text messages and phone calls to guys. 
And I was like, damn, that was easy. Like, and I really liked it. Like, the satisfaction of filling the trip was awesome. And then I knew that the guys coming on the trip were guys I knew. And I was like, this is great. I'm going to take care of these guys. We're going to have a great time. And we did. We had a great trip. It was yeah. awesome. The fishing was good some days, not so good other days, but we had a great time. It's an time. experience. Yeah, I and, mean, I, and I realized, like, you know, I can do this. It's combining both of my passions into one, taking people fishing, not necessarily rowing a drift boat or running the motor on the boat, but taking people fishing, setting them up with the local guides that know the water the best, which is the f most fair thing to do, Um providing hospitality and i realized after talking to more of my clients that are older guys that have been traveling and have done multiple trips through other companies that do those kind of things that a lot of times the fishing is paramount and the hospitality gets left behind yeah and i'm like well what if i took my hospitality background and i applied it to doing fishing trips and i was able to elevate the hospitality at these great locations well, and that's, I think, the, the, the seed of it, the heart of it, right? This goes all the way back to how you were raised and you, your appreciation for, you know, what your, your grandfather did and being in the restaurant and cooking and everything is, is ultimately about hospitality. Right. You know, it's, 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 it's all service. So, yeah, you have a passion for fishing because you did that because grandma, you know, gave you a pole and you like that ceremony of fishing um, there's an art to it. Sure. That's like almost like an athletic endeavor, but ultimately it's, a, it's an emotional experience, right? Whether it's it being in the kitchen, whether it's being, you know, at the, the end of the rod or, you know, ultimately it's about taking people out. I know for sure, whether you want to admit it or not, you have more pleasure and enjoyment of taking people on a trip and hosting them and cooking for them and showing them how, where and how to fish than you personally fishing or you personally cooking. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no. That's, it's, that's it's, what it's your heart everything is. everything coming together. That's your being. And it's really turned into this passion project Yeah, where it's like, if I can support my family and do all this, I've I found my niche, you know? I found exactly how I want to spend the rest of my life and what I want to do. Okay, so let me ask you this then. That, that's a, a great point. So you clearly have this passion for, you know, and, and you're driven to what you're doing, whether it be the cooking, hospitality, um, fishing, etc. Does that draw you uncomfortably or in a way or just because it's you have so much commitment does that draw you away from your biological family um you know that's that's a big pitfall of our industry yeah and you know i i mean i have three kids now yeah and an amazing wife and my amazing wife wants me to follow my passions good and that's really <clears throat> the biggest part of why we love each other is because I'm passionate and, and she supports my passion. Yeah. Um, my kids do too. And they see how we interact about it and they see that we don't argue about it, that it's just the way of life that, that we're heading into. Mm -hmm. And my wife has given me the green light on, on doing these things. And she knows her, her caveat is has been, cause she knows that a lot of this travel is going to take me away. Yeah. 
But her caveat is, is you go, you're going to some pretty awesome places, and we want to be able to come to some of those places. <laughs> oh yeah, you. well, you just did the one in Mexico. Yeah, I we think, went yeah. to Baja. Yeah. I took the whole family to Baja, and now the whole reason I took them to Baja was because I'm going to be working down there quite a bit. Yeah, and I wanted them to see why I like it so much and why I love it down there, and to know where you are. And I was amazed after like the second day, it was like we were a different family. You know, it was like we. We're not so plugged into, you know, devices and cell phones and things like that. We were having better conversations. We were talking better. We were sleeping better. We were eating better. We were doing everything better. And it was just like, it felt like such a comfortable place to be. And my wife looked at me and said, I think we should buy a place down here and come down here more. And I was like, Oh my God, what a win! Because I was going to have that conversation with her at some point. Because <laughs> I was going one way or another. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm glad you're coming too. But. I mean, that was one of the things I wanted to talk to her about was that, and she brought it up before. So I like, I don't know how I Jedi mind tricked her, but it it worked out, and she. But, but that's a beautiful thing, though. I mean, that's. Um, I don't think that's always the story. Uh, that that. Um, I mean, that, that she can appreciate that in you and go, hey, that's, you know, your passion. I'm on board, and I know that takes your time. Um, I think it's maybe a little bit easier with, like, kids because they could see and and have their admiration for you. Right. Like, dad's fucking kicking ass. You know, yeah. that, that's awesome. And my kids see that. My kids see that, like, you know, my, my kids understand, you know. Your passion. That my passion is putting food on the table. Mm-hmm. And my passion is keeping the house going. Like, that it's not just me doing something. Like, I'm just not just going fishing because I love fishing and I'm just going to disappear and go fishing. Like, right. when I'm going fishing, there's work involved. And yes. they, they associate the two together. Like, my kids ask me all the time, are you fishing for fun this time, Dad, or are you working? So they, they get do? Yeah. They, they do? They get it. No. They understand <laughs> that, like, sometimes I'm going fishing and I'm not I'm not just going out and is having fun. Is this fun or are we... Dad, I need some, you know. Right. I mean, are you going for fun? Or are you, you <laughs> that's know? hilarious that they perceive the difference. So they, they already kind of get it, you know. And they sit me, they see me sitting at the, the my my uh, my fly tying bench, you know, before a trip, like getting flies ready for certain people that ask for certain things or things like yeah. that. And they're interested, like, what's that for? What's this? And they see my passion in that and creating creating at the vice and. And all that kind of stuff. So, like, they see all this at home, and they see the backside of things, and they're able to process it and understand that, like, I'm not running away from them. I'm not not there for them because, like, I choose to not be there for them. Yeah, They understand that everything I'm doing is for them, but I'm doing it out of passion for myself. And I want my kids to understand that, like, their life doesn't need to be sitting in a cubicle working for somebody and being miserable that they can chase their dreams too and do things that are passion-driven. My guess is because that was instilled in you clearly right? that they already get that. What are the ages again? So Asher just turned 12. Uh, Gabe uh, will be eight next month, and Lydia is just over one. I, I, oh, I think oh, that... so cute. Do I, any of them fish with you? 
Uh, Asher does Asher occasionally, does, yeah. um, and but he told me straight up, he goes, Dad, I only fish with you so I can spend more time with you. Oh. <laughs> See, but how amazing is that? But then he, oh, like, I came back from Tamales Bay the other day, and he's like, Dad, how was the fishing? How many did you get? And I'm like, you kind of missed, you kind of felt like you should have been there, don't you? And he's like, yeah, I kind of wish I went with you. <laughs> <laughs> he, I, I, I would bet that he's going to be into it. Uh you know, partly because maybe he might love it. Right. But it's kind of exactly, this is the whole point, is that, like, why are you in the kitchen? Because you saw it in your grandfather, and sure, you liked it. Sure, it was in your blood or whatever you want to call it. It's a culture. Right. And and your passion is what culture is all about. Right. And you're creating a passion. You don't, you're not driving your kid to do one thing or another. I don't drive Let him do, do whatever the hell he <laughs> wants to do. But I guarantee you that um, one way or another, he's going to have that passion. Um, I'm going to leave you with a, a simple thought here. This is a, a funny story that involves you, Chef Josh, um, because you have been such a, a good mentor to Winton. And Winton has some talent in the kitchen. He's not He's not bad. Right. Um, and so, uh, you know, other people on the outside are fascinated with that. And, um, they're like, uh, you know, when, you know, I, I know I saw you like working on a pig the other day or whatever. I took pictures of, um, do you want to be a chef when you grow up? And he's like, oh, fuck no, I don't want those hours. <laughs> <laughs> sure. He's like, no, I want to be a fucking pilot. I love to cook. Right. Uh, I don't want to be a chef. Smart. He's a smart kid. He's a smart kid. Um, Chef Josh, uh, I genuinely love you. Um, I think you're an amazing person, a fantastic dude, uh, an amazing chef. And maybe that's why I like the guy. I don't know. Um, uh, he feeds you regularly. We're, we're, we're going to be doing our fishing excursions, but um, thank you for your time today. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I look so much forward to, um, you know, many years of us working together and Me hanging too. out together. Me too. And uh, Let's retire and then let's just go fucking bone fishing or something. You know, that's where I'll be. So okay. Yeah, you just need to meet up with me. Okay. I'll be out there. Travelcreel.com. Oh, yes, Ooh, yeah. uh, exactly. So how? So uh, I don't know if you, you do other social media, but first of all, you're, you're – um, your business, your fishing business is, say it again slowly, travelcreel.com. So travel and then creel, like the little basket you put a trout in, C-R-E-E-L.com. Okay. That's my website. Okay. And then do you do other social media stuff or not? I have Travel Creel on Instagram. I have Travel Creel on Facebook. Okay. Um, There's no Chef Josh, like naked pictures or anything like that? My wife took all those down when we got married. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my personal Instagram account is Bearded Warrior. Bearded Warrior, I yeah. like that. <laughs> and there's probably like like dead pic, deadhead pictures on there's there. There's some. If you scroll down far enough, you'll see a picture of me with dreadlocks. Yeah. <laughs> no way, yeah. really? Yeah. Oh, I'm looking for that. And Bearded Warrior, that's and definitely. no shirt on and a six pack back in the day. I don't believe. I don't believe that for a second. I don't. Don't believe that for yeah. a second. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> all right, Heather, you got anything for us? I don't have anything for you. I oh. just was going to say I think it's really awesome. You're quite an amazing human. 
with really cool values, and I want to go on one of your fishing trips. Oh, yeah. And I yeah. don't know anything about fishing yeah. <laughs> No, all. you don't have to. He'll teach you everything. Okay, yeah. cool. I'm on board. I mean, there's... <laughs> Baja, we, we got beginner's level all the way up to, like, what oh. I just did, which was hunting for tarpon in Florida, which is really intense. And I, it, my aunt was like... My aunt lives in Florida, and she's like, I want to go tarpon fishing. And I'm like, no, you're not ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> And she's like, what do I need to do? And I'm like, a lot between now and then. <laughs> Can you just sit on the boat? <laughs> she wants to. Yeah. And I'm like, it's going to be intense for you even just sitting on the boat. So. Wow. I have to look up tarpon fishing just to understand why it's so intense. It's like you can only relate tarpon. Like tarpon fishing relates to big hump, big game hunting like like elk. Oh, okay. Where you spend most of the day looking for the fish, and then when they show up, don't like, you have to curb your, don't like, them. yeah. Don't <laughs> them, don't <laughs> them, don't you got to curb your, like, buck fever, because oh God. I was joking with one of my guides. I'm like, I swear, every time I see these seven and eight foot long fish in the water coming at me, my heart goes in my throat and flips a switch that shuts my brain down, and I forget <laughs> everything I'm supposed to do. <laughs> Okay, that so sounds good. really intense. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I just have to, this is non-segue, but just thinking of, of Joshua and um, this one story, you have to uh, relate this again. Um, Winton, working at, in the kitchen, um, comes home, and he's like 13 at the time. And um, I don't know what went down at dinner, <laughs> but dinner service, but you know, Winton is in the back, like you know, chopping onions, and Chef gets pissed off and sends the two Sues out. Do you remember this story? Yeah, uh, you so. don't remember. So he, you, you send off um, everyone else. And you're like, give me Winton. And you. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, I do remember. So Win Winton, like a 13 year old kid, comes in and he's like <laughs> working next to Chef, who's pissed off. And he's like, if a 13 year old can do this job, you fuckers over there. Anyway, I don't know. It kind of reminds me. It was a teaching moment. Let's see. You know, it was a teaching moment. Like, you guys are fucking up right now, and I'm going to bring a 13 year old, and he's going to do it right. <laughs> It reminded me of the tarpon fishing. Anyway, story ends. We're done here. We could talk for like five more Probably. hours. But um, I think we can drop the check here. I think so. All right. We're Thanks, done guys. and done. Thank you. Love you, Chef. Love you too, Robbie. Thanks for having me on here. Man, I love Chef Josh. I mean, he's the coolest dude, right? right. I mean, he like... The, the passion in his voice shows through. It's so cool. It was great to have him on the show. Um, I, I can't believe the positive feedback that we're getting from um, all our listeners out there. And, you know, Josh, Joey, those are one of two. Um, we've got so many more coming down the pipeline. We've got Matt Rorick next week. Mm -hmm. We've yes. got Dave Del Dotto upcoming. We've got mm -hmm. Elizabeth Viana coming in. We've yes. got other people who maybe I shouldn't say just yet, mm -hmm. but they're going to be awesome. And, um, you know, I think we got a good thing going here. So uh, hopefully everyone will be listening, subscribing, you know, checking out these people. Also, that's a very important part about what we're doing is, you know, uh, thank you for listening to us. But, you know, explore these other people. You know, you might have listened to, to Joey's thing and you didn't know who mm -hmm. Joshua Schwartz was. You might that's listen right. to Joshua's. You didn't know who Matt Rourke was, you know, mm -hmm. so we can build a whole great community here with lots of information and 
cool conversations. That's what we want to do right before we drop the check. That is right. And you know what else you did not mention there? You know what I don't didn't? But look what I have right here. Oh, and I listen, yeah. no, listen. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh my God! That, I got, see, I got that what? fancy microphone of yours. Picked it up. You know what that was, folks? Nat Topo sound. Chico. Oh, Topo, Topo Chico. Chico. I thought you were going to yeah. say Nat sound, the technical term. But I kid you not. Even though it's sprayed on my shirt, um, this literally. So it's the end of the day here. Mm-hmm. It's um, well, it's not the end of the day. I won't be going back to work. But it's five forty-five p.m. Yeah. And while I love a glass of wine and all of that's great. But this refreshing, simple, plain, the original Topo Chico, that's what I love at the end of the day, especially during harvest. It's the most, I'm going to have a sip. Can I have a sip? I'll do it. Just go ahead. I'm going to have Chef Josh take me out on his boat and feed me. Topo Chico. Oh, we're gonna, we're gonna we're gonna foods. go back and we're gonna have um, our you know we have our um, little spinoff shows that we've been talking about leftovers and mm-hmm. um, dirty dishes and yeah. we're gonna have um, have uh, Chef Josh back. We're gonna have some of our other guests back. We're gonna have new friends that come out. So many mm-hmm. people have been talking about the show. We got to have those people on. Yes. You know, just on little side dishes. You know what I'm saying? That's right. Okay. okay. Drink your Topo Chico with your fancy microphone. Let's get out of here. I love it. Hey, friends. Thanks for joining us today on Drop the Check Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us at Drop the Check Podcast on all of your podcast streaming services, Instagram, and YouTube, or at dropthecheckpodcast.com. Special thanks to Heather Everett for producing this interview. Thank you, Heather. As always, Drop the Check is brought to you by Pearson Meyer Wines. Pearson Meyer, a really, really, really good wine. Join us next week for Navy SEAL, professional skateboarder, guitar maker, and a guy we call Uncle. Find out why next week on Drop the Check. Drop the Check.